Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Actually, how do you possibly make a podcast that is a highlights compilation that pulls out the best bits? <laughs> By only having the... highlights in everything you say. Never say anything that isn't funny. That's how. This is going to be very difficult for me. Uh, <laughs> but I'm but sure far less so. Yeah, for uh, Will Owen, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well. And you're now going to laugh at what I've just said. I'm not. And I'm also joined. And I'm so delighted, right? So... When I was about 16, I was once crossing the road and I almost stepped out in front of a bus. My mate Ali pulled me back and like prevented me being hit by the bus, right? And I think he is the only person, my old friend Ali, who I haven't seen in quite a long time now, who has saved my life more times than <laughs> the man we have on the podcast <laughs> with us today, the one and only Mr. Andrew Force. How are you doing? How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. I cannot overstate how useful and wonderful you have been for making <laughs> my life and now Will's life so much yeah. easier. Honestly, man, like every time when we're working on a video, at at least one point, probably I'd say an average about twice per video, we would turn to each other and go, Andrew Ford's good, isn't he? You know, if there's a line in the scripts that like, oh yeah, Nolan Legarek's quite a good player. He uh, is really good at scoring tries like this. And sometimes he puts in kicks like this. And it's like, oh, Andrew Ford will have that clipped up. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. I mean, likewise, I often chat with my friends about how we love Squid Rugby's videos. So it's feeling very much mutual. Someone once stopped me in, it was in the Arms Park, actually and said that he liked the videos, and he went, do you know Andrew Ford? Because I also love Andrew Ford's videos, and I'd like you to tell him. And I never have until now. (laughs) But a random, very tall man that I once met in a bar in the Arms Park (laughs) likes your work. I'll uh, keep an eye out next time I'm down the Arms Park for anyone who's tall. Probably see one of the Cardiff second rows and (laughs) make a fool of myself to them, but... It'll I'll turn out as Teddy up. Williams. I just yes, didn't recognise yes. him at the time before his call-up. Yeah, if you <laughs> so, see a man who looks like Ellis Jenkins winning his first cap against New Zealand, then that's <laughs> well, So, okay, I have to ask something I'm absolutely fascinated by, is when you come to make it, for anyone that hasn't seen, you know, your stuff, it's actually, no, no, I'm sure everyone listening has come across your work, actually. Whether they know it or not, I'm almost certain, almost yeah. everyone in rugby circles has. When you're clipping up something like, I don't know, the best 50-22 saves or whatever else, you know, something quite disparate, how do you find them? Do you have like just an encyclopedic knowledge of things? Do you have a way of looking back? I've always been utterly fascinated by this because it's something you might notice in the Squidge videos, like 
if I'm talking about something, I'll usually have like four examples I fall back on where I just know where they are. In, in England games. playing position as rugby, it's always that Jamie George try from last year. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I don't know, how do you do it? Like genuinely, I'm fascinated. Yeah, so I get this question a lot. I don't think it's as exciting as you'd possibly think it would be. But essentially, for example, if it was 50-22, so sometimes what I would just occasionally do is on Twitter, I will just search 50-22 and I specifically yeah. follow rugby accounts. And so someone like Jared Wright, who obviously you've had mm. on the podcast before, he's brilliant for just mm. clipping the occasional stuff on Twitter. So if I type in 50-22 on Twitter, just put it to following, look at the videos, guaranteed Jared's got about 50 up as it is. And you'll have the individual like Champions Cup, URC clipping like, oh, this mm. is the best 50-22 ever. And essentially, I just go from there. If I'm watching a game, it depends what circumstances it is. I will sometimes make a note in my phone if something like significant mm. happens. But I don't do that so much if I'm like at a game because sure, it's sure. just yeah. not ideal just getting your phone out halfway through the game to make this random note. <laughs> but if I'm watching a game as like a neutral at home, then it's pretty easy to just get my phone out, pop something in. And I think I'm like... I do my end of year videos that are the best of this bunch. Mm. And I'm kind of already trying to do that now by making certain notes mm. as we go. I've already started making kind of the highlights videos of the certain players that will be retiring after the World Cup. Oh, and it's brilliant. A case of, oh brilliant. So someone like Alan Wynne Jones, who I assume is retiring, but he yeah. still hasn't said anything yet. I've just make an occasional note of, okay, he's done this against uh, the Dragons, perfect, I'll include that. Mm, the end of the year video. That's brilliant. I mean, we're like 300 it's... odd clips into our moments of the year video. Oh, right? yeah. I think the already. document is already about 30 pages long of like yeah. long list clip moments. It's absolutely ridiculous. That um, honestly is so good to hear, though, because mm. we've, we've discussed this before off air. Like, it really comes across that it's not just, you know, you have an idea, pluck something out, and then have a few clips and that's it, throw it together. Like, it mm. really comes across that you work really hard on these There's and a like care you're really knowledgeable. And an and, artistry like, and a, yeah, yeah, a knowledge. And, like, Sometimes clips come from either really obscure games or really obscure moments in big games. And it's really good when those surface and you go like, oh, I remember that happening, but I'm glad mm. it's not been lost to history, you know? And it really does come across that, you know, you have that kind of encyclopedia of just <laughs> rugby stuff that happens all the time and the fascination with it. And like recently, uh, well, I say a few months ago, just to kind of almost test this out, I challenged you to make a video on like one twos in rugby yeah. and try to score from there. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you turned it around in like 24 hours. And like that's <laughs> not something where you can just search that. Like you have mm. to firstly be really knowledgeable about just stuff that's happened in rugby and just have a really good eye for it and know when it might happen which players might do it which teams are more likely to run something like that and it was brilliant the video i think you turned up two parts of it didn't you yeah yeah it, i did yeah it was fantastic like the thank you just, very much the efficiency to be able mm. to do stuff like that is just incredible it's so much more than the sum of its parts mm. i think with like videos like that that they're a lot more enjoyable to make than, for example, kind of some of the most basic videos. Sometimes if I make a video on a player, that can be a bit lengthy. Whereas if I'm doing like a one-two video, like one-two tries, that's perfect. I did a dummy video a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And that's kind of such a nice video to make because I can kind of have in my head like, oh, be ideal if it's, you know, ordered this way. Because you can just always already, I can already like think of the top of my head, like, okay, I'll include this dummy, this dummy, this dummy. And you already get the idea of what to do. But then sometimes I have the most basic things of, oh, my brother's a big rugby fan. 
Mm. And he'll just message me like, message me the other day saying, you need to do just a video of every goose step Marcus Smith's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> just, I think at like- An 18 edit, hour like, video. <laughs> yes. <laughs> get onto that at some point but that that one will actually take a lot of time to do if anyone's got any clips of singapore sevens for under 14s like 10 (laughs) years ago please send them andrew's way yes appreciate that the other thing i have to ask about is like obviously videos consistently blow up the amount of videos you've made that have reached enormous audiences is huge none more so than what, James Haskell, Julian Surveyor, <laughs> the list of players who will inexplicably start beefs with you <laughs> over absolutely nothing the is truly extraordinary. Yes. It's kind of... I've, I haven't done a Rugby's Biggest Thugs video for a long time now because it was kind of scraping the barrel a bit, mm. especially once I got through kind of the most basic ones. But yeah, it was quite amusing to see I did almost deliberately do it on players who I knew would probably lose it a bit. <laughs> I but, think one of yeah. them, one of them I did, one of the most recent ones I did a couple of years ago now was Ryan Wilson. Mm. And because I thought, oh, he probably bite. Um, but he didn't say anything. And then when Cardiff played Glasgow last year, they, the Glasgow players came round to where we were and Ryan Wilson was there. And I said to him, oh, have you ever watched that video? He said, oh, get sent to me about once a week. And I was like, oh, uh, I made it. And then he, he just looked at me and went, you, you made it? I was like, yeah. And he went, oh, there's so much better clips you could have included. <laughs> what a guy. I thought it was a brilliant response. I, I had no I doubt you'd that. take that well. That's, yeah, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So on the flip side of that, I just want to discuss the, you mentioned a minute ago, the, the Julian Sarveer one. Hmm. So you put up a really nice tweet saying, Julian Savier was unplayable uh, in sort of the 2011 to 2015 period. And he kind of beefed you back saying, oh, yeah. I can't believe you've cut this off at 2015, bro. Like, I'm still I'm still on top form. I'm still a world-class player. How did that feel, receiving a tweet like that from someone you were complimenting? So what's actually quite bizarre is that I was blocked by Julian Savier before <laughs> I made that video. It was in regards to, I think, when Wales played um, New Zealand 2021. I think mm. I threw my toys out of the pram after one of Seven Reese's tries. Just acknowledging the fact that had he not done what he did, he wouldn't be an All Black and that try mm. would never have been scored. And I think yeah. someone just got into it. And I I listed Julian Sarvia as one of them, you know, along with kind of Shannon Frizzell. Mm. And obviously I didn't tag anyone in it. And I think Julian Sarvia replied calling me a dickhead not understanding the full situation and then blocked me and then so when I tweeted that when I did that video and I tweeted it and he quote tweeted I didn't get any notification about it until I think someone sent it to me a couple days later at that point it had a ridiculous I think I had over a thousand likes on it and I was like what what has happened here but you know what's happened there? He's seen that tweet and seen something saying, this is from somebody you have blocked, and he's clicked show tweet. Yeah. Like, he's gone through that and then gone, oh, no, fuck this guy. Like, I'm carrying yeah. on the beef. Like Someone's clearly sent it to him, like, oh, you were class in 2015. <laughs> yes. And he's gone, I was class, af- I was class in 2018 as well, don't you know? <laughs> yes, he's, he's clearly gone, like, you know what? I was class, but, no- but when that dick says it, he's being mean <laughs> to me. I'm still class. <laughs> 
he has unblocked me since doing that. Okay. I don't think he was able to quote tweet it without unblocking <laughs> me. But yeah, no acknowledgement of uh, that other than just a little bit of abuse directed my way. <laughs> That's so funny. But you know, all press is good press. <laughs> but that's the bizarre thing is like with what i do i'm surprised it's only really what austin healy that's started <laughs> some sort of beef with me like i'm surprised that hasn't happened more often and i guess it's easy you know players can ignore it whatever and i'm glad they do and i would if i was a player there's no way to ever watch one of my videos there was when owen farrell did an ama recently on reddit mm. and a few people asked him about like do you watch X on rugby YouTube, and he was like, "I've never watched a rugby YouTuber," and that was enormously <laughs> reassuring. But with what you do, I'm so amazed that players seem to buy it all the time. <laughs> that yeah, there's That's a really weird positive concept. So much of it is yeah, built towards yeah, praising yeah. players and giving them the. You know, I remember Andrew Trimble saying he always used to go and when he was low on confidence or he's the prepare for a big game, he'd watch his highlights reels on YouTube, and. I'm sure there's more players out there like that. And yet you have that. Mm. I don't know. It's all very strange to me. Yeah. What was the Austin Healy thing all about? Because didn't you just criticise something he said? Yeah. So he'd spent the whole game. It was this really great game between Quinn and Rassing. And he'd spent the whole game complaining about the referee. And he said that like, the referee has absolutely cost Quinn's the game there, despite him sending three Rassing players off in 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, yes, yes. And I tweeted something like, it's... I can't remember what it was. It was something about yeah, how something like something happened was... in the car park and he would say it's a penalty to Quinns or something like that. Yeah, it was something like daft exaggeration of how he'd done nothing but talk about the referee. And then I went out for a couple of hours and I was in a, a public house and I picked up my phone again, which had been on silent, and I had so many notifications. The <laughs> one that stood out was from friend of the pod, Johnny McGinty, which was a text that just said, fight him. so i had no idea what was going on i opened it and i saw that austin healy had invited me out for a fight in the car park and i was utterly baffled i laughed to myself quite a bit for quite a while because it was extremely funny Mm. then eventually just replied saying good one <laughs> and then a week later, when he found out I was also at Wilford Road for that Ospreys Leicester game, he then instead again said, "Like, oh, you should have let me know so that we could have come and had a fight in the car park." What's a uh... so bizarre? Yeah, he doesn't do himself any favors, does he? <laughs> no, no. no. And I've it's... just I've just gone and dug up our text conversation around that, Robbie. Okay, and we basically reached the conclusion that him saying "Who is Squid Rugby" is not the slam dunk he thinks it is. It's like, no, you are the furthest thing from our target audience, Austin. Yeah. Like, this isn't you going like, "Oh, who's this guy?" Isn't you know? It's not like an insult. It's like mm. you know, I'm quite glad not to be known by Austin Healy. I'm blocked by him, so it's fine. But <laughs> yeah. But also, if he's messaging. He's messaging you saying, who are you? And then I, I don't doubt for a second Austin Healy gets so much abuse on Twitter directed yeah. at him. Yeah, for, him yeah, to, yeah. for him to bite at that, which is hardly anything abusive, <laughs> and then say, who are you? He, I think he probably does know who you are. I hadn't name searched him. No, sorry, I hadn't tagged him and he clearly name searched mm. it. But the, yeah, the other thing is he has in past tweeted to me and just called me Squidge. So... <laughs> There's clearly yeah. some level of knowing who or what mm. I am. And there's a few Which isn't like, a good thing. 
No, and I also like from conversations I've had with people at BT Sport and whatever, when I was at the Premiership final last year and whatever, mm. and I spoke to a few people at BT Sport, they've shared my, apparently shared my videos around of pundits and stuff in the past. So... You're so famous. Well done. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Julian <laughs> Surveyor doesn't know who I am, though, so that's yeah. that, that's, that's my next target. I would rather um, fight Austin Healy than Julian Surveyor. Me too. Yeah, me oh, too. Yeah, 100%. I don't want anyone to take that out of context and clip up me saying I want to have a fight <laughs> with Austin Healy, but... But yeah, it's a it's an odd world, isn't it? Mm. I don't know if you feel the same way of just feeling like tucked away, out completely out the world of rugby, and then every now and again something hits far closer to the heart of it than you'd expect. Yeah, I haven't had too many ex professionals asking me for a fight, so <laughs> it could it could be a lot. It'll of happen. Words. Yeah, yeah, it's only a matter of time, I think. I'm sure James Haskell would offer me a fight at some point. Oh, it's, it's almost inevitable. Mm. It's almost inevitable. No, I mean, look, absolutely delighted to have you. The game we're supposedly at some point here to talk about was Wales' 72-18 win over Japan. Large part of the reason that we felt this was a great fit for yourself was A, the sheer number of tries, but also it famously has a try that I think you've probably clipped up at least a dozen times. Yes. <laughs> I'm assuming that's the James Hook try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, it's got it's to be uh, Shane's second try. Yeah. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> no, yes, the uh, um, Alan Wynne Jones try. Yeah, the try I think of the game. All of these have come up before. I'm surprised you, you probably didn't even have to watch the game back. You'd looked at all of these tries that many times. <laughs> Does that actually happen, though, before we get into this? Does that actually happen where, like, you feel like you know a game from, like, 15 years ago inside out because you've clipped it up many times? Not not so much these games, but there's definitely, I think if you went about two or three years later, and there'd probably be the odd mm. game that I reckon I'd, yeah, I'd have an idea of what's included. But there's a guy on YouTube called Motty Rugby mm. Mm. who clips all the tries. So that often, I literally just see the tries rather than yeah, actually okay. elements of the rest of the game. We've rinsed his content before <laughs> as well. <Yeah. laughs> oh, he's very handy, especially with like the Lions tries and the World mm. Cup tries. It's yeah. so much easier. You it's can't cool. even, some of the like, 2007, 2011 games are very hard to get hold of. And the 2000, I think the 2011 clips, yeah, it's a HD, so that's absolutely yeah. perfect we we spent my 21st birthday sat on the sofa watching on the television all of the tries from 2011 uh, so it was a wonder that we ended up eventually it was doing a, a podcast on yeah it. A precursor to this podcast I think. yeah with pizza it was great oh that um, sounds like a great yeah great night. it was great it was a good 21st birthday that but yes yeah, so wales against japan from 2007 yeah do you have any memories of the 2007 world cup or are you like the pair of us we've talked in past about kind of having vague memories of it happening, but not of particular games. Yeah, so I was around eight mm. at this World Cup, seven turning and eight. So I was a bit too young to kind of remember exactly what was going on. I can remember the World Cup going on. So, for example, the when the Wales-Australia game was on, that was mm. in Cardiff as well. And I know that like a neighbour of mine had all her Australian family down. They were all going oh, down cool. to the game. So I can remember that. I like, think I can remember like certain tries, but I can't actually remember watching the game. And I definitely don't remember the Wales-Japan game. I do, unfortunately, remember where I was for the fourth group game, but we won't talk about that game. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
no idea what you're talking about. I think <laughs> Wales, Wales should be about to pull off a heroic win over Fiji. To yeah, based a quarter on final their form place. in this game. Yeah. So. Mm, you know, yeah. Will James is going to play in that semi-final yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it was referenced in the game a few times on commentary about how good the Fiji game is going to be and how great an event it'll be and how it's Wales just need to rest up and go into that fourth game. Uh, and how like Fiji going to struggle with the turnaround between the Australia yes. game and the Fiji game? Like, I was amazed. Painful. Yeah, by how big a game they're talking about that as being. Mm. Because I wondered if it was a hindsight thing that it was very much now viewed as a great game, but at the time mm. everyone was just like, "Oh, it's just a you know T one nation playing a game that could be a banana skin." But mm. but no, they're addressing this as like this is a huge game for Wales where anything could happen. And you know what? Anything did happen. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, though? I've been extremely down on Wales, I think, recently on this podcast. Since we finished 2011, like we did 87, and I I low-key just hate that Wales team. (laughs) And then this has happened, and then the first couple of games I've gone like, oh, but Wales weren't that good, were they? In this game, Wales were absolutely class. And the team their name is fine, but they were brilliant. So for, like, the first 10 minutes, Wales are bopping. But they somehow (laughs) get away with it. And then somewhere between them, sort of, once Alan Wynne Jones gets the first try and Mm. things start to click, they go, Do you remember we won a Grand Slam two years ago? (laughs) And just absolutely turn it on. And it glorious from there on out. And in Japan, are a lot of, I thought this was a really entertaining game. It's brilliant. I loved it. I loved it. it Should we have a quick look at the Wales team first then, uh, Mm. whilst, whilst we're here? Because there's a few highlights and a few names we go like, oh, okay, they're you know they're playing, such as Will James, who you mentioned, who mm. first cap. Is winning his, uh, his fourth and final cap. I'll have you know. Oh, yes. So he doesn't play for Wales again after this. He's an entirely functional second row, from what I can tell. <laughs> um, he was a kind of controversial selection for the whole squad because he'd been playing for Gloucester. Well, no, he'd been playing for Cornish Pirates and had just signed for Gloucester. Wow. And they were like, nobody's big. Have you seen him? He is him? big. He's, He's definitely a big, big, big lad. 18 stone, six foot six, bald, playing in England. <laughs> what more can we possibly want? It was a classic PVAC selection <laughs> ahead of its time. So yeah, he then signs for Gloucester, plays for them for a few years, does all right, doesn't play for Wales again after this. I feel like there's always one of those kind of players in a certain team that just turns up for a World Cup. And then mm. is just never picked again, never picked before. I, I remember Dominic Day was in the 2015 yes. squad. And he just, I don't think he even played in the World Cup itself. It was included in the 31-man squad. I think he must have played against Uruguay and that was it. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, yeah that's worth flying someone out for, isn't it? But where was named yes. about six second rows in that squad as well. Yeah. Mm. It was yeah. so bizarre. Because Gatland had always ignored him when he was playing really well for the Scarlets. And mm. then all of a sudden went, actually, I really like this Dom Day lad. <laughs> and like threw apart his World Cup squad to make no sense because he wanted to include him. Yeah, it was so strange that Dom mm. Dom Day inclusion. It's similar as well. In I, I worry that it, that's going to be the case with Henry Thomas as well. That he'll be this corner mm. that will play a few, have a few caps and then just stay in France. But in 2019 with Ireland, they called that Jean Klein. Am I yeah. butchering that pronunciation? Yeah, ahead of ahead of Devon Toner, and then granted it was Schmidt. At that World Cup, and then Farrell took over. But immediately the next Six Nations, Toner gets called up again, and Klein's nowhere to be seen in an Ireland shirt. And now he's eligible again to play for South Africa, yeah. which would be great if it happened. Mm, mm. Be very funny uh, if he 
plays against them at the World Cup. They haven't got a shortage of second rows in South Africa. Mark, <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. So elsewhere, we've got in, in the front row, they bring in... So they've got Duncan Jones and Chris Horseman as props. And I like Chris Horseman. I've, I feel hmm. like he's a player I've kind of come around on retirement, since retirement because he's gone on to become a really good coach. And when he's done commentary and stuff, he's come across really well, which I like. And of course, at Hooker, they've got T. Reese Thomas, which for anybody unaware, hmm. Thomas Reese Thomas, as he was known. Hmm. So you can see why he shortened it to the T. Well, Chris Horseman's a really interesting story as well, just because I think we haven't talked about him on the pod. This is his World Cup debut. He was, by the time he played for Wales, 29. He was, you know, getting on a bit and then was obviously north of 30 by the time we get to here and his kind of final caps in this World Cup. Doesn't play at the Gatland when he comes in for the next Six Nations. Big, big lad again, you know, chunky fella. But the remarkable thing about Chris Horseman that never seems to come up was that he was diagnosed in 1997 with testicular cancer. Um, yeah, while he was playing for Bath at the time, since he you know spent most of his career just on the other side of the bridge, yeah, successfully recovered from testicular cancer, went back to play freshly professional rugby, and just kept trucking along afterwards. And then, yeah, later down the line, got diagnosed again with lymphatic cancer in 2005, and you know came back from there, played for Wales again. And then, you know, went on side for Worcester after what this. What a guy, man. And what a guy. retired. So it's a hell of a career. Mm. Went on to become a referee, then quit refereeing to become a coach. Coached Wales women very briefly. Coached Wales under-20s for a bit. Uh, coached RGC. He's had a pretty remarkable life, I think. Mm. I wasn't aware that he'd been diagnosed twice with cancer. I knew that he had testicular cancer. To get it yeah. a second time, only two years before that's remarkable like it's incredible enough like Matthew Reese coming back and playing for Wales mm. after you know also suffering from mm. testicular cancer but the fact that he's paved his entire rugby career post diagnosis and then done it mm. twice that's incredible yeah mm. his battle of cancer was around the time like oh he recovered around the time of his first caps that's incredible which is a, an yeah. unbelievable Fight back. Yeah. Spent nine months in hospital. He said, I got through it. You pick up your life and you get on with it, which is quite the approach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Chris Horseman comes in in the front row and Will James in the second row, partnering Alan Wynne Jones. I wonder which of those will go on to have a bright, few, you know, <laughs> fruitful <laughs> career for Wales. Will James didn't win a cap after this. Alan Wynne Jones won a few. <laughs> <laughs> they also bring in a Mr. Michael Phillips at Scrum Half. Mm hmm. While James Hook partners Stephen Jones in that 10 12 combination that mm. Wales would come back to every few years and be desperate to work. <laughs> and David James plays his first World Cup game since 1999. Oh, really? Mm. Was he Quite... not at the 2003 World Cup? Yeah, missed the 2003 World Cup, oh, came back right. in for 2007, then retires after this from playing mm. for Wales, but does return to Cardiff a couple of years mm. afterwards yes. and has like yeah. a pretty solid you know, year or two with Cardiff as a very yeah, slow Bringing winger. youngsters through and stuff, yeah. you know, clearly had an impact with the likes of Lee Halfpenny and so on. Mm. I was looking at the names. Obviously, they refer to Mike Phillips as Michael Phillips. Mm. Has anyone ever, other than his mum, referred to him as Michael Phillips <laughs> in like <laughs> that context? Because I've never, I'm almost certain he was always just Mike Phillips Yeah, on any team sheet. I mean, because he's William Michael Phillips, isn't he? Is his full name? Oh, yeah, I wasn't aware but, of that. But then, as you say, does his 
Mum, call him William or Michael or Mike. <laughs> yeah. What did Duffy call him? I was going to say, Niall Horan missed a trick by not calling him Michael. Yeah. <laughs> Bring the rest of the Beatles with you. Yes. Of course, Stephen Jones is captain as well, which we like oh. to see. I would say t- leading the team out, but Shane Williams was actually winning his 50th cap today, which mm. was also great to see. More on that later. Should we look at Japan? Yeah. Yeah. So Japan, it's pretty much a similar lineup to what they've named in past against Fiji. So they've got Shotaro Nishi in the centre, who I think has been brilliant so far in this World Cup. You know, good sort of kicking 12, has a good kind of ball handling game. Partnering Yuta Imamura, who is a guy who went on to play quite a while after this, kind of like, you know, throughout the Japanese leagues. And I think he had player, a bit of time yeah. to some played, wolves. Played until the Eddie Jones era. Yeah. Those, but Eddie Jones dropped him very suddenly. In that way, he did quite a few players where he tried a lot of players in his first year and then went, some of you are oh, just not good enough. And by that point, he was getting on a bit. And yeah, Eddie Jones just went like, no, I'm not I'm not having you, mate. Yeah. It's a bloody good backline that Japan have out, though. Like, we've talked before about Bryce Robbins very much not being a 10, but being a really class player. But, like, Onozawa and Endo on the wings, the sheer pace mm. of those. And, I mean, Christian Loamanu at fullback, pace isn't necessarily the word I would use <laughs> for him. But a good player in various positions. Mm, yeah, I mean, and positions that he may have got pinned by that female wrestler he tried to fight in the nightclub. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, what's that all about? <laughs> so, Christian Loamanu, the fullback for Japan in this game, yeah. got banned by Japan for a year and came back in just before this World Cup again because yeah. in a nightclub he met a female professional wrestler and tried to fight them. And she was like, I don't want to fight you. And he was like, no, you're, no, I want, to, I want to fight you. I want to see if I can beat a female professional wrestler in a fight. And so he got, which is one of those real like borderline, is this funny, is this horrible cases mm. and got himself, got himself banned by Japan for a year. <laughs> Crazy. This bizarre character. Weird story. Power to ban him for a year for that. I, I know that's quite like, it's not ideal, but it seems a bit, to ban him yeah. for a year for that. It's, did you ever see that video of Xavier Rush in a kebab shop? Yeah, yes. Runs at him. I wonder if Xavier Rush was still playing, would he be banned for that? This is a fair question. I wonder I mean, if I bumped into a, a rugby player in town. <laughs> I reckon if I if I'd had a few beers, I'd maybe say, "Oh, can I run at you?" Probably get absolutely <laughs> smashed. It's always been a thought in the back of my head. <laughs> Would they then get banned for doing that on the team? Do you know who I am? I have a huge YouTube channel. <laughs> Speaking of kebab shops, though, Perry Sweeney's on the bench for Wales. Right? <laughs> Viral kebab shop videos. It's funny that that comes up in conversation. <laughs> we can't let that go. Because I also think, right, it is time to play a game, if that's okay, since it's I was hoping, organically. I was hoping that you would play a game about Kerry Sweeney in the World Cup. <laughs> so, regular listeners may remember two episodes ago when we played a game called Nicky Walker World Cup, which I've since learned Nicky Walker never plays another match in the World Cup, so I'll never get to play it again. But I may introduce a follow-up game called Kerry Sweeney World Cup. Yes. I saw him come on and I thought two things. The first thing I thought was, hey, it's Kerry Sweeney. He's the guy who got dumped over the counter in a kebab shop. <laughs> and the second thing I thought was, oh, I really hope we get to play Kerry Sweeney World Cup later on. <laughs> Carry on. So... Andrew, I'm going to ask you one question, and then Will, I'm going to ask you another question. I will then pit the winner of your two questions against each other, and the two of you can confer to decide the winner okay. of the Kerry Sweeney World Cup. Okay, Will, right? Your question is, which do you prefer, getting thrown over the counter in a kebab shop, 
or ousting Dan Parks for the fly half shift? <laughs> I would say getting it. Which would you the rather counter. do? Uh, getting thrown over the counter in a kebab shop because there's a kebab at the end of it. Okay, 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 excellent. And Andrew, which would you rather do? Would you rather be a key part in an iconic try from the 2003 World Cup, <laughs> or our Sam Norton Knight for the number ten shirt? <laughs> Oh, Sam a Knight from the ten shirt. I, I still have nightmares of that man. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's shared by everyone who's ever been to Cardiff. Yes, yes. I think even opposition fans felt bad for us when he was playing ten. Oh, there are people who just like went there to shoot one episode of Doctor Who. They just have nightmares <laughs> about it sometimes. Just remembering that one plague that spread over Cardiff. <laughs> So it's kebabs versus SNK in the finals. Yes. It's like, every, mm. it's like the bookies had down. So what are we saying? Getting thrown over a kebab shop or the counter in a kebab shop? What or... do you reckon, Andrew? That's a good, two difficult things, but mm. luckily I've never had to experience doing either. But... <laughs> that seems so similar, though. Um, mm, um, <laughs> what's more painful? Watching yeah. Sam Norton think... night? <laughs> yeah, or... Most people in Cardiff have done it at some point in you know the early 2010s. <laughs> I've got to say, though, like, considering we're talking about Kerry Sweeney, I do think getting thrown over the counter in a kebab shop is pretty unique. Yes, yes. I think it's one okay. of the um, better kebab shop videos. Certainly better than the Xavier Rush videos. Yeah. <laughs> I, like the, I like the look of confusion when he emerges over the counter, just not, <laughs> not having any idea what just happens. But is that video uh, getting shared around by, like, Lad Bible and him popping yeah. up at the end? That's yeah. Kerry Sweeney! <laughs> <laughs> I, the first time I saw that, I didn't know like yeah. that was who it was. And yeah, I will have seen it like organically on Facebook, and then seeing some guy gets dumped over the counter, and then he gets up like, "Hang on a second, that's former Cardiff Blues and Wales fly half Kerry Sweeney," <laughs> looking baffled over Mistaken. the other side of the counter. Would I be mistaken in thinking is Reese Thomas in the video as well? The old Scarlet's prop. Yes, Not I think he's the one who dumps him over the counter. Is he the one? Yeah, that's also a bit surreal. The two of them. Yeah. Please look this up. If you, I mean, you might not find it if you look it up, but uh, if you don't know what we're on about, then just do your best to find it. And if you can't find it, just keep scrolling. I love that when you type it in, the first three results are a version of it from Wales Online, a version of it from the Metro, then Kerry Sweeney embarrassing fans versus South Africa by Ruddy Data. <laughs> I love the thought of Wales Online of publishing a thing saying the former Wales fly half was embarrassingly caught in scrap in kebab shop in Cardiff or whatever. Because that's clearly what it is. Yep. Okay, there's a super final though, right? Oh, yes. Being thrown over the counter in the kebab shop versus being related to Georgia Evans. I would still take being thrown over a counter in the kebab shop. Okay. Personally. What about you, Andrew? I mean, Georgia Evans is great, but it means you compared to her all the time. Oh, Kerry Sweeney. Yeah. Yeah. I've just Googled Kerry Sweeney's name, and in 2012, he was arrested outside a nightclub. Oh, so shit, he was, wasn't he? I don't he? think he has, yeah, with Tom James. So I don't think he has the best reputation, does he? No. <laughs> that should have factored into the, the super final, or a, a kind of extra semi-final. Yes. I still think the winner is going to be getting thrown over the Sorry, counter in the yeah. shop. Kerry Sweeney also almost signed for Cranzy R. <laughs> it was all done. Everything was sorted, but then the Cardiff Blues were unable to find a replacement for him, so they wouldn't release him from his contract. Wow. <laughs> we should have really got an extra two guests on this, so we could have had an extra branch to Kerry Sweeney World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great game, and there's so much more we can play with it. We'll yeah, come yeah. back and play Kerry Sweeney World mm. Cup another time. Absolutely, uh, we will. 
in the meantime, I think we should move in the general direction of the game itself. I, I would agree yes. with that. Because there's a notable thing when they run out and you see inside... I mean, so the Millennium Stadium is literally half full. It's almost exactly half capacity. They've got mm. around 36,000 people there, which is hugely disappointing for a World Cup match on home soil. Same has happened at Murrayfield against Romania. Yeah, and the atmosphere is quite dead for the first half, I think. Mm. I think it picks up eventually when Wales really start to cook in the second half. But, like, it is quite disappointing. And, like, the commentary constantly talks about it. I'm guessing this is another issue of pricing the tickets. Yeah, I mean, so there have been, as I talked about in one of the first few episodes, a big piece on Scrum 5 about how ridiculous all the prices were, how the prices to see them play Japan in this game were in line with the prices to see them play England in Six Nations that year. So it was all a bit of a state. And then you add in the fact it's a midweek game, probably doesn't help further. And then the fact it's being played outside of the World Cup country itself, so you don't quite have the same mm. level of buzz. All very, very... And in the middle of, you know, yeah, the credit crunch going on at the minute, like, some of the cost of living crisis at the minute, you know, is a big financial mm. crisis. So there's a lot of concern around prices and everything. So you end up with, yeah, hugely, hugely disappointing crowd, which I think a lot of fans ended up weirdly priced out of. But... Not through that kind of in the way they always talk about fans at Twickenham pricing out you know, whatever else because people are willing to pay eighty pound for a ticket, you know, for a posh day out where they get drunk a lot and shout, "Why isn't Haskell playing?" Um, Racist things. Yeah, give it to Wilkinson. Let's sing a slave song. <laughs> that wasn't happening because it just didn't sell half the tickets. Mm, I seem to think, given the crowd, I thought the Japanese anthem was very good. Oh, so good. quite nice about it. I thought, I don't know if that was because it was almost appreciated more because it was less of a crowd. Not that I don't think I've ever been to the Millennium and it's been any anthem's been booed. Mm. But I really, I thought the Japanese anthem was a lot better than the Welsh anthem. Both yeah. great, but yes, I yeah. agree. Like the, the Japanese one, God, I love it. Mm. It's just so, and, I, and there probably is something in the kind of quiet appreciation of it. You know, it's it's like seeing an artist in an intimate venue. You know, yes. you're sitting yeah. and appreciating the Japanese anthem. It's great. These two anthems also bleed into each other weirdly well. Yeah, like the mm. Japanese anthem ending and the Welsh anthem kicking immediately in fits really well, and I can't explain why. There's something <laughs> that feels almost like a natural progression for it to go into a similarly... Because the Welsh anthem starts on kind of similar notes to where the Japanese anthem ends, I think. And the two kind of bleed in and almost feel like it builds up to the glads from the start of the first anthem. I don't know. It made sense to me. As if, <laughs> if I were a DJ, if I were Josh Navidi, I would potentially try and bleed those two together. If So I don't know. Were you at Judgment Day, Andrew? Uh, no, I was in Australia. Uh, oh, of course you were. back two days ago. Yeah. Unfortunately, I... It was very good. Uh, a friend of mine's just moved out to Sydney. So I'd always wanted to go to New Zealand. So I went to New Zealand for a couple of weeks, then nipped over to Sydney to see him. Oh, amazing. And did she sound not night out there? No, unfortunately not. I did keep an eye out, but <laughs> I don't think I'd want to meet him in the nicest way possible. <laughs> but I um, came back via LA for a couple of nights. So my body oh, is a bit all over the place. That's but, a hell of a few weeks. Right. Yeah, yeah, very expensive few weeks as well. So I'm gonna, <laughs> it's gonna be not ideal in the next month or so, money wise. But I'm sure I'll get through it. 
a few videos praising the Springboks and Google yes. Earth will drop something nice into your account, I'm sure, <laughs> to make up for it. How was Judgment Day? It was all right. It was okay. Yeah, sorry but, about the result. <laughs> yeah. No, hey, you're most welcome. It went all right for you. Yeah, that was a particularly odd one because I haven't talked about this properly publicly, but like if the Ospreys had won it, I would have presented the Welsh Shield to them. Yeah, I did see your tweet about that. The stupidest thing that's ever happened. I'm guessing you got offered but... to present it for Cardiff, Andrew, but <laughs> you were obviously away. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> I, I, I have no idea who the person that did present the Welsh Shield was, though. So, in, was there any explanation as to who that was? This was what ended up happening was that uh, Beth only works for the Ospreys, who's marketing, blah, 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 mm. who I've come to know over the last year or so, who's lovely and great and wonderful and et cetera. And they were told last minute that they needed a super fan for each region to present the trophy <laughs> if it came. And they literally decided this, I think, on the Thursday evening. So on the Friday morning, the day before Judgment Day, she asked if I'd be the super fan for the Ospreys to present <laughs> it. And I thought my first instinct was, no, I do not want to mm. do that. That sound, you know, going out on the pitch and doing all of that. I'm not a dog, so I don't belong on the pitch. <laughs> um, some people have confused me with the state my hair's in at the minute. I was not eager, but in the end, I kind of, you know, you kind of can't say no to that as an offer. Mm. It's kind of so ridiculous that I'll never get the chance to do something like that again. So I'm, I, you know, so I said yes. I arrived, I was sat like right down the front of front of the other Ospreys like staff on the touchline for the game itself. I got to walk down the tunnel, which was so strange mm. um, for the game. But then we got to the end of the game and they brought out the two, the people who were going to present the trophy for Cardiff. And then we also saw who would have presented the trophy for the Scarlets if they'd pulled off their miraculous, yeah. you know, miraculous result and won it. And both the... <laughs> Both the Scarlets in Cardiff had nominated children from a children's hospital. (laughs) And the Ospreys had nominated a dickhead in me. So me and like all the Osprey staff there felt A, relieved and B, like the (laughs) bell end in the world that they'd pulled like a YouTuber instead of everyone else had gone for like sick children. Yes, I've come down here on my own, actually, just for the day. (laughs) <laughs> Their fan was saying that, like, oh, they mentioned in the thing, oh, it's it's very heavy, so be careful with, like, small children. And she'd read that as don't pick a small child, rather than, no, you'll need a parent to go with the small child that we assume <laughs> you're going to select. <laughs> and so I was stuck there, like, thankfully not having to present anything of them to sit by the sideline, just behind, like, Dowie Lake. And, yeah, didn't have to go up there, but... The moment I realised that I would have been the bell end going up like John Terry and Osprey <laughs> shirt, doing that on the pitch to hand it over when they had like, oh man, no escape on that one. It really made up for the not playing in Europe next season, the whole mm. <laughs> getting dodging that bullet. I can't remember what my original point about Judgment Day was. Oh no, it was simply just they had a they had a DJ off between a Dragons fan and a Scarlets fan. And it was as close to a CD of the best of Queen as you'd expect. <laughs> like, it was not great. And maybe we should have done that with whatever I was talking about being a DJ before. The anthems. Right, okay, we got through that. I've talked a lot. <laughs> um, how is everyone else? Sound? Should we look at the yeah. game? Yeah. yeah. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The very first thing that you notice in this game, and it's not something I take a lot of pride in saying, in this first 10 minutes, Shane Williams has an absolute stinker. Mm. Drops his first two or three balls that he has, like, you know, has to, to catch or indeed run with and, like, gets slung about, gets absolutely nailed at one point by Makiri, the Japanese seven, like, has a real mare at the start of the game on his 50th cap as well. So Will Greenwood says, as Wales are running out, I love watching Wales. Disaster is always just around the corner for them. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I didn't catch that. But I caught Will Green was saying at one point that Shane Williams could have been a world class player. Yeah, <laughs> which is a bit premature, given he's saying that. And I, I think obviously I didn't watch him so much before two thousand and seven, mm. but he's almost saying that ah, oh, this is the end of Shane Williams. He's <laughs> never made it, as if the next four years didn't happen. <laughs> you won't be gone from here. This is his peak. <laughs> Yeah, that didn't age particularly well for Will Greenwood. Weirdly, Will Greenwood... Uh, the last couple of games we've had him commentating on, though, I've gone like, wait, I actually quite like him. Was he a really good commentator in 2007 or something? And it, it feels very strange to admit that. But, like, you know, something will happen and he'll go like, oh, this has happened for that reason. You know, like, the, Japan have dropped it because of the Welsh line speed or whatever. And he'll point something out or point out why Wales have run a certain move or whatever. And I go like, oh, hang on a second, that's genuinely insightful. He went on 2005 Lions tour, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. I think so, yeah. So how long after this had he been retired? Was he still playing at this point? I think he was freshly retired. I remember them talking him up when I was looking at the coverage beforehand as uh, our new introduction pundit, Will Greenwood. And everyone was excited yeah. to have him around. So I think it's always been the case, hasn't it, that recently retired players who are articulate enough to, you know, and solid enough to be pundits generally make better punts than ones that have been retired for. 30 years yes. and just shout numbers yes. all the time. Yeah. As we now see with Will Greenwood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there is something fundamentally different about Will Greenwood as a man, seemingly. Mm. And I don't know what it is that's happened that led him to just be completely incoherent when he commentates now. He's just And mad. just be impossible to understand because he's going on tangents about dishwashers. But <laughs> it's he is a different, different pundit and different commentator to what he was in 2007. Mm. I've got to take a moment to name check that Bob Simmons, the mm. main commentator, lives right across the road from me. No! no! Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. We're yeah. fans of Bob Simmons at this podcast. <laughs> I haven't spoken to him much, but obviously it's a, you know, the classic. I still live at home with my parents, but it's the classic of if I leave the house and he's, he's always out there doing his gardening, always wave at him and say hello. 
But I think it was, I think he retired after the 2011 World Cup from rugby. But you just see the occasional, like we were talking about Motti rugby, mm. on so many of the World Cup games, it's him on commentary. And it's very bizarre yeah. hearing him speak in real life because it's the yeah. exact same voice. It's all, it's so surreal. But you shouldn't have a face, you know? Yes, yes, yes. I, I never thought, it's the same with like Mars Harrison and Nick Mullins. Mm, when yeah. you hear them, you don't expect them to look like that. Yeah. It just, you just only know them by their voice. So does he does he just narrate as he's cutting his lawn or whatever <laughs> in an incredibly um, unflashy but wonderful way? Not not that I heard I've heard him do that, but I'm sure he would do it quite well if he did. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be quite. Uh, I'm sure he'd come up. Yeah, he's he's not the worst commentator in the world, but he's very kind of straight to the point, isn't he? he doesn't mm, yeah, he's not your Jamie Lyle making yeah. comparisons to animals. I think there's a need for that, though, isn't there? You know, like he, yeah. he knows who all of the players are. He never gets the player wrong who's carrying mm. the ball. He always knows exactly who it is and yeah. what they're doing and why they're doing it. And that's great. You know, there's a, there's a, a professional. Real... Yes. 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 Yeah. To kind of carry on with the game, the first points of the game come from Anishi knocking it over from like 40 odd yards. And like mm. Japan at this point have clearly gone, we're going to really put pressure on Wales at the start of the game. You know, we're going to chase these kicks and we're going to force some errors and stuff. And they, they deserve a 3-0 lead in the yeah. first 10 minutes. Yeah, they take it well. Mm. Yeah, very deserved for, you know, as I said, an opening three minutes where Wales look as bobbins as they did against Canada at the start. Yes. I yeah. thought um, in the opening 10 minutes or so, I kind of saw why... Mike Phillips wasn't necessarily the starting scrum half at that point because yes. he made a few errors. I always kind of wince whenever I see him make that kind of half step before passing the ball, just delaying it too much. And there's one point where he seems to not even be playing scrum half in the first few minutes. He seems to be catching the ball off in the midfield. And then there's one point where he is at the base of the ruck and just is not looking at the ball at all and Japan turn it over. So I think he... Obviously, in the second half, he very much came into the game. But the first 10 minutes, I thought he was a bit off the pace. Yeah, he has one of the most Mike Phillips games imaginable, (laughs) where I (laughs) thought he was dreadful in the first half. Like, just atrociously bad as a scrum half. And just, there's a point in which he just lets the ball slide out from a ruck and he just doesn't pay attention because he's just shouting at people. And, you know, he's missing things, his passing's off. As you say, he's often just like floating around rather than being... At the breakdown, just I thought he was supposed to kick out in the fall. Just yeah. thought it was absolutely rubbish in the first half. Drink I mean, every time he gets to a ruck slow, so Martin Williams has to pop the ball up for him. <laughs> yes. We got um, pinged for a uh, crooked feed in a scrum as well. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Which I thought was a bit harsh, especially some of the feeds and some of the scrums in this game. Yeah. But then Japan completely mess up. So they, they get ready to set. And then they take a quick tap. Then immediately the second phase, they just kick the ball away. And it's very, why did they just wait so long? Yeah, to do just that? do it. Yeah. But then, like, the thing with the Mike Phillips thing is that he then comes out straight after half time, not to spoil it, and is borderline unplayable for 10 minutes. Yeah. And is then brilliant for the second half and just phenomenal for the first, like, 10, 15 minutes after half time in particular. Such a typical Mike Phillips game, but you've got the clear <laughs> divide between the he's not a great scrum half and he's a brilliant rugby player. Yeah. And you've got to see the two next to each other rather than kind of mixed in as they often were. Yeah. So yeah, Japan have their lead 
And then you get a couple of points where you think Wales could build something, you know, like there's a point where they have an overlap where Steve throws a really nice offload. James Hook blows it, obviously, because he's James Hook. Like Shane Williams <laughs> has a few really good runs, actually. Like after he has one carry where he doesn't drop the ball from there on out, like he has so many in a row where he's just brilliant and like steps somebody and, you know, just injects pe- so much pace into the Welsh attack. But all of this said, you wouldn't think the first Welsh try would come the way it does. No. No, not at all. Is this going to be in a compilation of everyone's onside videos one day? <laughs> I genuinely, when I was watching it, I thought, why haven't I included this in a video before? Because <laughs> that kick, I'm not sure who the kick's by. Is it Jamie, uh, Jamie Robinson? Jamie Robinson. I think if it doesn't touch the Japanese player, that's going straight out on the full. Or at <laughs> least it's, it's, not, it's not a good kick at no. all. I think it's kind of the story of the game was the fact that that was the opening try. I found there were so many times where Wales looked so good but just weren't clinical enough. And then they, of course, score a try like that. (laughs) That's just very, very sloppy and very lucky. It's good work for Alan Wynn to get into the um, position that he's in. Yeah. But it's a bit of a lucky try. For the opening 10 Very minutes. much so, yeah. So Robinson's kick, it goes very low, hits a Japanese player and deflects. So all the Welsh players are on side. Stephen Jones is really alert. He's the one that notices mm-hmm. it. Then, yeah. Yeah, you kind of have Reese Thomas realises moments afterwards once he sees Stephen Jones running towards the ball. It's one of those where I instinctively always scream it. Mm. I remember yeah. it happening, I think it was the Ospreys Leicester game, it might have been Saracens, when I was there. And there was one other Ospreys fan around me and it happened in that situation. And both me and the other Ospreys fan nearby stood up and screamed it at the same time. You can't <laughs> so do like, that without saying, all on side, all yeah, on side. You have to get the, me- I feel like yes. I have to get the message to the players. I'm close enough. Like, this could be game deciding. You I have, have to, to let Ruben well. Morgan Williams know. Yes. <laughs> it's otherwise, yeah, you do it on TV, but I was particularly like mm. loud when I was near enough. <laughs> Actually, I think it did Judgment Day as well. I think it just seems to happen exclusively when I'm there. Um, <laughs> I'm, it's a curse. So, yeah. So, Stephen Jones realises right away, picks it up. David James, lovely touch on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah just about has enough pass. pace. Yeah. And then gets the pass to Alan Wynn. Who is scoring rate in this World Cup. Very solid. <laughs> it's one of those where you kind of go... At the time, you're probably expecting him to be some try-scoring lock phenomenon mm. rather than the player mm. he turns into is this like pacey young second row. And you know what? That represents a solid percentage of the tries he scored for Wales. <laughs> he scored in this World Cup already. He nearly so gets a second one after this as well, if not for yeah. a try-saver by Joel Dupes, the referee. <laughs> yeah, the balls... What was the laws regarding the offside line here? Because I assume it's the same as it is now because the ball mm. is very much over the try line in the Japanese So. Rank. Yeah, so that's what happens is the ball's over the try line, so Alan Wynn goes to charge the guy down, mm. and the ball then deflects onto the referee's foot, so he has to uh, stop the game and give right. Wales a scrum, because it would have potentially bounced into a Japanese hand if not for yeah. the deflection, you know? I, well, I just thought where the ball was, he had the opportunity to just jump over the ref and place it down, but yeah, I probably wasn't looking properly. I didn't notice that it came off the ref's foot, but... Mm. I didn't until like the third replay where it shows it just about brush's foot. And it's it feels quite harsh because it doesn't have that big a difference, but it yeah. is you know laws, laws, you know. Georges goes up 
goes on to referee the final in 2007, <laughs> very much because he was the most pedantic referee in the tournament, which was, you know, saying something for some of the referees around this era. I thought Ali um, Roland ref the final. I thought it was Shuka. Or did he in no, 2003? Maybe he did semis or something. Anyway, that happens. But you know what? I am so happy that he blew that scrum five because of what follows it. Yes. Which it's a really, really, as I said, the, the moment that I think, I know I've seen a lot. I've included the videos plenty in the past. Andrew, I think it's included doubly so. The infamous, famous try that not just this game's famous for, but I think kind of summed up Japanese rugby for a long time until the Eddie Jones reinvention. And this was kind of what they became known for was moments like this. And it's still talked about as a real highlight and one of the Rugby World Cup great tries. Yeah. Mm. It's to try this tournament so far without a shadow of a doubt. It's just incredible. It starts with Wales picking and going to the right-hand side on the scrum. Mm. And then the ball just squirts out of of the breakdown as Alex Popham's trying to present it back. And the thing I didn't realise about this try, the 10 plus years I've been watching this replayed constantly, the guy who picks it up and does a sidestep on James Hook is Hitoshi Ono. Yeah. Yeah. With the pace. I, um, I checked his Wikipedia after because I was I couldn't believe he was that fast for a second row. And he's six foot five. He's not like, mm. I thought he'd maybe be one of these Japanese second rows that's quite short, especially at the time. But he's six foot five, and also weirdly enough, he started playing rugby in university, having converted from baseball. Wow! Which seemed a bit of an unconventional switch, especially. I can see there's probably an element of in the line out with catching, but even then, it's a bit of a unconventional sport switch. But yeah, it's break along the touchline. Just the awareness to get the ball and then to run down the touchline is you'd expect a winger to do that, mm. not a second yeah. row. And he's an incredible player. I love mm. Hitoshi Ono. And like through his career, he's one of those players who's always done the nuts and bolts so incredibly well. And like the hitting rucks and so on, always been brilliant at. I never knew he had this level of gas. Yeah. 98 caps. And I think this was probably about the end of him having that gas. <laughs> <laughs> By the time he retired in 2020, he did not have it. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, a glorious player. Yeah, I'd always been... I, I pulled this out in past when trying to talk about him because it's just, it's a weird standout in his career where to say it's probably the most famous thing he was involved with, I suppose other than the 2015 game against the Springboks, mm. which after he started in, other than that, it's the standout moment. And yet it is not indicative of his career either side not of it remotely. whatsoever. Yeah. And his awareness to pass as well, because Bryce Robbins runs such a good support line mm. Um, mm. to get up there. And again, doesn't try and do too much. Throws this really nice lobbed pass in field to Imamura, and it's 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 a beauty. They've managed to find a broken field out of nothing. Imamura's touch might be the best of the lot as well. Yeah, his slow, steady weight, draw, give, doing that in that kind of space, that kind of pressure, going at that kind of speed is hugely impressive. The weight on his pass to Endo as well, mm. like the way yeah. it just goes, it just hovers in the air for just long mm. enough to enter to fully accelerate onto it. Yeah. Yeah. Ender doesn't even have to break a stride, does he? No. And I think, I can't remember who it was that made the tackle, but it was actually impressive that they got there. But that was still, if that, if that hadn't been, if somehow Ender had been tackling the touch, that would have been so disappointing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if that hadn't resulted in a try. 
So yeah, thankfully it's tried, but yeah, easily. I think when I think of 2007 World Cup, it's obviously that Endo try and the Nguenya try against South mm. Africa as well. Those two are always just highlights in my head. Yeah. Japan go end to endo. <laughs> nice. And as Will Greenwood points out, like he says, he's not very good at trigonometry, but they've gone from left-hand corner to right-hand corner on the far end of the pitch. Like That is the longest distance you can possibly go on a mm. rugby pitch, to go from mm. one touchline to the other and from one end of the field to the other. Yeah. It's not just they've gone 90 metres and done a couple of passes back and forth. It's glorious. Like They've used all the space on the field. It's really lovely, beautiful it's rugby. Beautiful. They've had four-plus players run about 120 metres to score that try. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And it's, you know, puts Japan ahead deservedly so. Yes. I think the try did deserve a bit better commentary than Will Greenwood in a monotone voice just going, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of the best tries in Rugby World Cup history. Yeah, mm. definitely. As I'm sure has featured in some kind of compilation at some stage. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's just, just incredible. Mm. But yeah, no, so Wales do then kind of fight their way back into the game gradually. I think they realise that to settle themselves, what they need to do is kind of target the set piece because hereafter, Duncan Jones is utterly dominant in the front row. Like <laughs> in scrums, like Duncan <laughs> Jones is absolutely brilliant. He's winning Wales penalties constantly. Like Stephen Jones knocks one over to get 10-8 up. I think it's the other interesting thing about that try in the end that comes from watching the full game back rather than just seeing the one highlight in you know, clips, packages and on TV and whatever else is you talk about how you don't necessarily notice from just seeing it on its own that when Ono steps over the ruck and steals the ball, Japan have been doing that all game either side of that and generally getting penalised for it, including the penalties Stephen Jones knocks over, where they keep going in and trying to steal the ball they think's out of a ruck and they get away with it once and it leads to one of the greatest tries <laughs> anyone's ever seen in their life. <laughs> And the moral maybe, of the story, let Japan do what they want. Yeah, maybe if Jokko just let it roll, if he just let this happen, maybe we'd be looking at a different story. Maybe we'd be looking at a few more all-timers. I think that should be the true rugby value that we all take out of this. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that was a tactic that didn't work for them, but they kept up and then once, once came off. Mm. It's a bit like how um, New Zealand kept trying to put in dogs on the pitch and it only once led to John Kerwin <laughs> try in 87. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a real shame that they've not kept that up recently. Yeah, they should bring that back. They should. (laughs) The next try, I feel like, Robbie, you're the only person who can describe this brilliant, brilliant second Wales try. And especially the person who scored it. I feel like you (laughs) love it so much. I just want to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I've never been more disappointed to watch Wales score a try. (laughs) (laughs) It's shit defence, isn't it? Yeah. Endo, having just contributed so much sees James Hook on the edge, sees him go to dummy a pass to a man that is entirely covered and goes, oh, that's exactly the kind of stupid shit he'd do. <laughs> so he drifts off, not realising the only thing he's more likely to do is throw an endless, pointless dummy that's not on. <laughs> so he throws that dummy, James Hook, he somehow skims down the touchline, Lohmanu nowhere near, and he scores in the corner. And I quietly sigh to myself, as the Japanese dream slips away and I remember I've got to be Welsh. <laughs> I think um, I've written in my notes a good six or seven times, dummy from James Hook. Because <laughs> it just happens so often. And I, Only six I, or seven? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it probably should be more than that. But 
It's just, I know you've spoken a lot about it, Robbie, about James Hooks. I still remember your Ospreys video, the first one of the, was it kick pass dummy? Yeah, and the option he took most often was dummy. (laughs) Yes, it's just, it's not the best option at the best of times. When he dummies to no one, I don't understand what, I don't understand how people are buying it in international rugby like that with Endo. It's, yeah. James Hook, and a very young James Hook, I believe, at this point. Isn't he about 22? Made his test debut the year before, the June before. So, yeah, would have been 22. Would have turned 22 the summer leading into the World Cup. So, early in his career, not long after that infamous World Cup final game where he got outplayed by Dye Flanagan, and everyone was like, (laughs) Dye Flanagan's the guy who's going to be the next big thing in World Rugby. And then James Hook took off, and Dye Flanagan quietly seeped away to get a develop a real taste for beanies in order to re-emerge as a coach a year later. Dari Flanagan was briefly at Cardiff when I first started watching them. So mm. That's my first ever kind of acknowledgement of Dari Flanagan. I think he went into coaching when he was like 27. <laughs> yeah, he was really young, wasn't he? Yeah, he yeah. Can't, be that, can't be that old as it is. Mm. But mm. it was, Dari Flanagan was from near where our grandparents live. Like, mm. Our grandparents knew his parents, kind of deal. <laughs> so he would come up as like, "Oh, it's Di Flanagan! Pl- Di Flanagan's playing." Because he was yeah. never a great player. He was a bog standard kind of third choice fly half for Cardiff and then for the Ospreys, and then eventually for the Scarlets right before he retired, wasn't it? And we really um, wanted him to to happen. Yeah, just because he was like, "Oh, but but we've got a link to him," uh, you know. It's but- it's inspirational. The thing is now, obviously, with the facilities now at Ustrid Munich, like a lot of those players are coming through from Penalty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, you Elliot Dees, yeah, yeah, of the world. My mind's gone completely blank on the others. But there have been multiple Welsh internationals in the last 10 years who are from Penalty, mm. um, which is great in itself. But <laughs> shame that he didn't happen as a player, but fair play to him as a coach. Yeah. It doesn't help the old uh, saying of that all Welsh people know each other. Your grandparents know Di Flanagan's parents. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, obviously Jamie Robinson's playing. He's another Glantar boy. Mm. And his mum was a PE teacher at my school. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, yeah, very small world. It all ties around. <laughs> I remember having watched, being at my grandparents, for I think we'd gone up for seeing Wales play Six Nations somewhere. And Jonathan Evans had played for the under-20s the night before. And my granddad had popped out to get a newspaper in the morning. And he came back and he was saying how he got stuck in the queue behind Jonathan Evans's mother, who was saying he should have got longer off the bench last night. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a very, uh, that's a very Welsh uh, anecdote, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? It's an absolutely peak Valley anecdote. Yes, yes. Then Mike Phillips does a good thing. So next in the game, he uh, takes a quick tap and throws this absolute Hail Mary over the top to Shane, who puts in a really nice chip for Kevin Morgan to chase. Like mm. about, Looks like Morgan's about to score, and the ball very luckily bounces into Onozawa's hands, and he hits the Jets from behind oh. his try line. Mm. It's the sign that both teams are now embracing this being as loose as it is. Yes. Which yeah. is the sort of thing that Wales should be looking at this and going... We shouldn't fall into this trap next week as well. <laughs> but Japan have decided they want to play as loose a game as possible. Wales decided, yeah, we'll play as loose a game as you want. And yeah, Onozawa runs back behind his own goal line, then runs it out to over the 22. 
Not quite full Untermac, but it is pretty exciting mm, to watch. Yeah. I've written in my good. notes, Untermac style break yeah. from Onazawa. <laughs> it was Tyrese Thomas that tackled him. Yeah. Of all the players, it was a very good tackle as well. He was so, coincidentally he... in the place he ran to. <laughs> Tyrese Thomas is an enormously underrated player. Yeah, great player. Mm. And he I goes on to score, doesn't it? But yes, go on, Andrew. Yeah. Yes, yes. At Cardiff, when I started, first started watching, we had Tyrese Thomas and Gareth Williams as our hooker options. Mm. I thought both were very, very good players, solid players. I think that's the kind of crucial thing that, particularly a card of a hooker we haven't really had for a long time. Um, yeah. Just not looking ideal at the moment either, going into the future. Big fan of Belcher, but still mm. it's kind of the difference in, at least Gareth Williams and Tyrese Thomas were knocking on the door for Wales, whereas currently Cardiff haven't had a hooker knock on the door for Wales since Daisy, and that was a good six years ago. Yeah. Although he's a lion after all, so <laughs> yes. can't take that away from him. Fun fact about Gareth Williams, he's one of very few international front rowers who's gone to become a vegan post-retirement. Really? Yeah. Is he? Yeah. Did not know that? Hmm. So Andy Robinson, and then his Ollie, Ollie, Robinson, Ollie Robinson as well, was yeah. a vegan while playing. Jade Conkle was a vegan. I'm sure there's a thought... part more in women's rugby. Ollie Robinson was just vegetarian, wasn't he, in fact? He was a vegan. Yeah. He was a vegan. Oh, Matt. Oh, was he? I think okay. so. They might have been a vegetarian. But... Is Joe Van Nieker a vegan or something? Oh, probably. Oh, yeah. He'd that's down that route, true. wouldn't he? Yeah. 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 Can't be many of them international forwards who've no, gone no. on, turned to veganism afterwards. <laughs> but yes, TRT scores um, not long after mm. this. And like, it's just Wales being really well drilled for a change. Like, they look so organised and they do that kind of back peel off the back of a line out. Mm. And they're just so quick into position and running really good lines. And TRT's line to finish this is fantastic for his first international try. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good angle from Tyrese Thomas. I thought he just... It's the sort of kind of angle that you could do in today's game. Like, there's tries here mm. where I don't think I don't think they'd ever be scored. The defence would have so many things covered. But a try like that, if he's running at that angle, it's difficult to stop someone like that. Definitely, yeah. yeah, with such quick ball as well. Mm, mm-hmm. And at that point, that's when Wales start to get quite a lot of momentum. And as you say, it's all extremely loose. Like, both teams <laughs> not afraid to throw silly offloads and give up possession because they know that they'll get another chance kind of thing. Yeah. But Wales are completely dominant in the scrum. Like, there's one point where off the back of a scrum, Yoshida tries to have a snipe and gets absolutely smoked by Martin Williams. We barely mentioned Nugget, but he is utterly glorious in this game. He's oh, everywhere. Yeah. Great combination of cheating constantly, being everywhere, mm. and mm. using that skill set that he had. Yeah, and There's... secretly playing scrum off. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I find he's he's just sort of the ultimate seven, especially in that era. Mm. He loves a bit of shithousery, but the way that he was so cynical in some of the, some of the um, penalties he won, I don't know how they were penalties. He must have <laughs> convinced Jutka to just give him anything because... Obviously, he was penalised a few times, but he's just the ultimate seven Richie McCaw style of yeah, being able to. But then he's got great hands, athleticism. I thought he was phenomenal this game. He throws a absolutely phenomenal backhand offload in the first sort of 15 minutes. Like, I kind of went, is that Tom Shanklin throwing the best pass I've ever seen? Then obviously, <laughs> no, it's the other ball player, is Martin Williams, which is far more believable. And it's just sort of, he engages two defenders, somehow frees an arm and just like, just this tiniest flick goes straight into Stephen Jones's hands. It's absolutely amazing. 
And it just begins a game of completely tearing it up, whilst also, as you say, being a complete shit out. He's somehow winning everything. He's he's absolutely brilliant. Just an absolute joy to watch him. And he sets up the Kevin Morgan try on halftime, the bonus point one. Where on turnover mm. ball, he throws a really nice miss pass to get it to Jamie Robinson, who kind of does his best to fluff it, but luckily times his pass quite well and gives Morgan enough time on the ball. But yeah, it's it's fantastic. Like It comes off Mike Phillips putting in quite a nice kick for Shane that doesn't bounce very nicely. But yeah, Martin Williams' awareness and just secretly playing scrum off, as I say, so Phillips can actually play on the flank. Like Those two definitely had a, a pact where they'd swap positions every two minutes. <laughs> Enormously satisfying. Kevin Morgan, as uh, your friend of mine, Mr. Bob, points out, <laughs> has a struggle. You know, yeah. He's not having yeah. the most comfortable game yeah. at first. Then scores that try and clearly confidence sorted out and is great in the second half. Yeah. But yeah, I think mm. big boost for him. He has this look of quite like, yeah, I can do this on his face when he scores. Yeah. There was that one moment in the first half where he gets the ball on the wing, receives a kick, and he just kicks the ball across across the halfway line and the only legitimate option there I think is Jamie Robinson everyone else is offside and it just the ball goes nowhere near Jamie Robinson either and Jamie Robinson's only probably about 15 metres away from him so if he just passes the ball I think like they, they said he was having a shocker and he wasn't great in the first half but it was just it was almost just schoolboy stuff and he didn't seem to be on it and yeah like you said the look on his face after he scores a try I think he's Needs some sort of confidence after the other stuff because he drops drops a drops a high ball at one point that goes backwards and as he goes to try and pick it up, drops it forward. Mm. Which yeah, he really seemed his confidence was a bit low in that first half. Mm. Yeah, and I think also probably knowing he's retiring after this World Cup, he's you know coming up on thirty-one, just shy of. And I don't know whether he announced he was going to retire or it just was Gatlin didn't pick him again after this, but. Yeah, there's a kind of feeling to him of errors starting to compound themselves until that try, and he's clearly dropping more and more in confidence until he scores and, you know, things step up again, which is clearly the sort of thing he he would go on to use as a fitness coach for years, Mm. and he's currently using a Bristol as their fitness (laughs) coach. I wonder how he taught that in Georgian when he was with Georgia, but, you know, it's one of the lessons, one of the real adventures in coaching is working out how to tell Georgians things. Um, that's what I've learned from Ted Lasso anyway. Um, so we get to halftime. They all run into the shares. They all come back out straight away on here. Like short, Halftime seems so short watching this game back. Almost no time at all. And they continue playing rugby. They certainly do. And you know who starts playing rugby? Mike Phillips. Mike Goddamn Phillips. <laughs> His little dummy box kick, which felt like a bit of a trademark of Mike Phillips's, I suppose, because it's like, oh, I could either leather the ball or I could slap somebody while I've got the ball and be allowed <laughs> to do that. And yeah, he very much, very much does that. Dummies his box kick, makes a really nice little break. James Hook gets caught, tries to throw this offload, which goes along the floor and Nugget skies it. But trying to kick it along and dive on it. And the thing is, we've all seen Nugget score tries where that something like that comes off. Mm. Yeah, I think it's one of those moments again where I thought, like in the first half, that some of the best opportunities Wales were creating, that they just didn't lack that edge to finish it off. Where a try like that would have been, if it fin- if they finished that off, a try like that would have been phenomenal. To start for the second half, but it's just it seems 
seeing when they made the break, they often just panicked mm. rather when they needed a few phases to recycle the ball and then something would happen from there. But then saying that, Mike Phillips doesn't score too long after, does he? No. Oh. As Will Greenwood says on the commentary, he was always going to score today, the level of confidence <laughs> he has, which I think he's absolutely spot on with. Like It felt inevitable <laughs> that Mike Phillips was going to score sooner or later. Mm. Yeah, uh, he takes it well, doesn't he? What what was it again? Is that the one where they do the little uh, move at the back of the line out and Duncan Jones gives him the assist? Yeah, yes. and he just carves right through. Mm. Very simply runs it in under the post. Almost any time Wales make a break, especially our first phase, Lower Manu is completely absent, like he's still banned. Mm. Like, there's <laughs> no fullback to beat any time Wales make a line break, seemingly. I've got no idea where he actually is most of the time. But yeah, Phillips just walks in unopposed, essentially, under the post once Duncan Jones gives him that little flick. An arm tackle on Mike Phillips isn't enough, is, mm. as Japan find out. But yeah, nice finish from Phillips. And like his next touch of the ball is when he starts clearly just brimming with confidence. And there's a point where Japan have had an attack and they kick it, he gets it in his own 22. And he just decides, I'm just going to try and go the whole way here. Gets tackled quite early on in his run, but just throws this really nice offload out the back of his hand off the floor to create a break for Dav James, I think. And it's just, at this point, you know, everything's coming off for him. Yeah, the pass over the top is absolutely ludicrous. Oh, for the the next try? Yeah. Yes. Pornographic, this is. This is (laughs) where you're kind of going, oh, his, his, his form now is absurd. He is just playing stupid carving up rugby. And if I were Duffy, I would also be sliding into his DMs. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the little chip over the top initially oh. of the base, which you think looks like a stupid option until he regathers it, then followed by a little sidestep and a glorious, like incredibly aesthetically pleasing offload where he reaches the arms forward, chucks it over the top. I remember that exact image being on the cover of an issue of Rugby World once, where he said, learn to offload like Mike Phillips. And it had that picture of him throwing that offload in the 2007 World Cup. It's that tier of offload that you want to sell a magazine by teaching people to do it. I don't know if you noticed after that try, but when they pan to the crowd, there is a man in the crowd wearing an England away top that's red. No. I briefly noticed it because I saw the O2 sponsorship and I was like, surely not. I don't know what goes through someone's head, but they're like, I'm going to wear an England top. But I'll wear the red one because, you know, <laughs> then I'll be supporting Wales. <laughs> it's just a bit bizarre. I don't envy that man being in, no. being in a Millennium Stadium crowd wearing an England top. It's like people who go to Home Nations games wearing lion shirts. Mm. Like, Get off the fence. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Show your true colours. I think when I was younger, I went to a Six Nations game and I didn't have a Wales top. I had a Six Nations top, and so I wore a Six Nations top, <laughs> which I must have just looked like the most, you know, Six Nations sponsored. Literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably my parents worked for Six Nations or something. So, because I did some stuff for them in the autumn once, I got sent an Autumn Nations Cup hoodie and T-shirt, and every now and again, if I haven't done my washing. And it's the last T-shirt left. I will be left to wear the Autumn Nations Cup T-shirt. Oh, yeah. I've got those beanie hats that the centres. I've got, oh, I've got yeah, one or two yeah. of those. Yeah. Because like with that, you can you can just fold it up so they can't see the ANC logo. And also, it doesn't say Autumn Nations Cup on it. It's just got the funny little ball-shaped logo. So people can't really tell what the yeah. brand is. 
But Not too the bad. T-shirt just says on the back, Autumn Nation Series, the greatest competition in the world in all of rugby. <laughs> Catch it on Amazon Prime. And Every year. You look like the biggest corporate shill in the world walking around <laughs> in that. You've got to wear a cardigan with it. You've got to wear a jacket with it. You can't just wear it on its own. Yeah, man. But yeah, so that that kick by Mike Phillips, that yes. chip kick is mm. just beautiful. Like, it, what I love about it is it ju- it goes like an inch above head height, you know, or mm. or like outstretch arm height from the, yeah. whichever Japanese player it is he chips. Like, it's only just out of his reach, so it goes back down to where Phillips is straight away. It's so perfect. And then, look, fifteen odd meter spin pass he offloads to Shane. Like mm. the skill set he shows on that try is unbelievable. The phenomenal rugby player comes to the fore. Yes. Rather than the flanker playing scrum half that was yes. often talked about. <laughs> Dav James scores a try. Really well yes. deserved. Dav James yeah. has a great game, I think. Yeah. He does. Um, he pops up, finishes quite a simple try, but he couldn't have deserved it more. Because yeah. just the handling role and the role he's playing in other tries and in other strong kind of movements and sequences for Wales... Is phenomenal. Yeah, I think he has a really fantastic game, and yeah, and he anticipates that really well. Stephen Jones going mm. for the uh, the step and the offload, the dummy. His line for that is really, really good because he clearly knows exactly what Stephen Jones is about to do. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I thought Stephen Jones did really well to keep the ball alive as well. Yeah, because mm. he could have easily just gone down, recycled the ball, but yeah, they definitely seem to know exactly what each other were doing, and yeah, Dab James definitely deserved that try. Mm. Yeah. Kerry Sweeney and Gareth Cooper both come on as halfbacks. So you think this is inspired, clearly. <laughs> this is exactly what we want. I mean, like. We want the halfbacks that will lead Cardiff. Yeah. To, uh, <laughs> what the Challenge Cup one day. Yes, yes. Spent many a time watching that halfback partnership. I, I found when I was watching Kerry Sweeney in this game, some of the things he did, and I always think about that try he scored against New Zealand as well, is. He, I don't think he ever showed any of that promise playing for Cardiff. He was <laughs> never the same player there. And obviously, he was a little bit older by that point. Mm. But I just sometimes thought some of the... Um, it's a bit later on in the game, but there's a pass for one of the tries that is absolutely perfect. Mm. And, yes! And it's just, how is he doing? Granted, it's Martin Williams. So you've got a player who's just got a ridiculous rugby IQ. But Kerry Sweeney is like a prime Finn Russell there with the pass. Right? <laughs> it, but that's the thing, because I think we're all of an age where we remember Kerry Sweeney as a rugby player, but we ne- we didn't see him in his prime. Yes. Mm. You know, I I remember him ousting Dan Parks with the 10 jersey, and I remember him having a handful of good games. I remember him scoring that try in the EDF Energy Cup final, that interception try, a minute after coming on. Yeah. And it always seemed like, oh, he, he played for Wales before. <laughs> okay, that's strange. But yeah, you get notes watching him here of why he was such a consistent third-choice fly half or whatever. Yes. Why he'd come in and play games like this. Yeah, but th- like that pass is absolutely perfect for Martin mm. Williams. It places him perfectly into the gap. He knows exactly what line Martin Williams is running. Mm. It's delightful. Hell of a line by Nugget as well. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's about three Japanese players directly in front of him, and they all, none of them read it at all. Mm. Yeah. Just completely takes out three Japanese players. And you've got, I know 
Martin Williams is like the perfect example of a wing forward, but he is a open side flanker. He's not exactly a Jamie Roberts bullock and run straight down crash yeah, ball. Yeah. And none of them seem to read that he's getting the ball. Yeah. And he runs it in from 40 metres as well. Yeah. It's just brilliant. There's also a point where I've written down towards the end where I've just written down Charvo tap and go. God tells Kerry Sweeney he can't score in this World Cup. Because Kerry Sweeney has like this like 30 metre jinking run where he's constantly beating defenders. Then eventually Onazar was just like, no, fuck this. You're not scoring, mate. (laughs) And just tells him no. Also have a fine moment once again involving Kerry Sweeney where Wales break out from their own half around the halfway line, they're just about getting the opposition half, and Kerry Sweeney goes, mate, I am shit hot today. He does what I believe in basketball they refer to as a heat check, where, you know that that thing in basketball where they'll be like, I have scored like five from five shots. I'm going to go for an incredibly ambitious sixth shot to see, to do a heat check on how hot I am tonight, right? (laughs) Kerry Sweeney goes for his heat check, and he lobs it straight to Onizawa, who runs it in from halfway. (laughs) Yes. What a bloody finish by Onozawa. Incredible finish by Onozawa. Mm. I have not done it justice there for the purpose of comedy. But <laughs> nominal finish. Takes yeah. the intercept, makes Kevin Morgan's ankles go wee! <laughs> and outpaces Shane Williams to get to the try line. And Ian Evans, who has this unbelievable turn of pace out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. it was Will James and Ian Evans were two of the players who seemed to get close to him initially. The both second rows. And Ian Evans intercepts the ball at one point in uh, later on in the second yes. half that obviously drops it. But he seems to Ian Evans seems to have this engine that no one else has. But I yeah, can, phenomenal from Onozawa. I can only say that well. mm. Onozawa was a proper highlight real player, would you say, Andrew? Yes. yes. Yeah. I uh I should maybe uh look up if I can do a video on Onozawa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, There's plenty of tries to choose from. Yeah, he scored a few. I think he intercepted the ball a good three or four times in this game as well. Just seemed to read yeah. any opportunity that the ball That's came near it. him. Just seemed to read it perfectly. Like Kerry Sweeney did that heat check, as you say, and from there on out, James Hook's just like, "Oh, he's the best player. I'll constantly pass to him." Yeah. And just every time James Hook gets the ball thereafter, he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm going to pass to Onizawa because he's the best player," without really grasping the concept of teams. <laughs> So yeah, this guy's fun. You know, we want to sell tickets, don't we? <laughs> we want to see people turn up to this Millennium Stadium we've built. 55 tries he scored for Japan. That's incredible. 55. That's incredible. Yeah. Could have had a couple more in this game. First Easy. player to score 100 tries in the top league. Wow. Ooh. Knew his way to the try line, as they say. What a player. <laughs> what a player. Constantly making breaks towards the end as the game got looser and looser <laughs> and looser. Yeah, brilliant player. Gareth Cooper makes an impact. Yeah. Yes. He sort of takes a try well. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's one of those weird moments as well that the scrum scrum keeps going forward. I'm not really sure why Michael Owen passes the ball. Why does he not just track it up himself? He's trying to show off his hands. You know, everyone talked about his quality handling. I feel like I'm at the age where I, when Michael Owen came on, I forgot that he existed. Because yeah. he obviously he stopped playing after that World Cup, didn't he? So, mm. but then he's also he's technically a test lion because he played against Argentina in 2005. Mm. And I just the only thing that I remember him from, unfortunately, is he's the co-commentator when Sam Warburton gets his red card. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, World Cup. 
Yeah. But yeah, other than that, I couldn't even like imagine stuff that he's done on a rugby pitch. He's just that slightly just bit before I was watching rugby. The pass to Shane in the 2005 Grand Slam against England try mm, is the, yeah. the kind of moment. And then Eddie Butler says, oh, he does have great hands, the Welsh number eight. <laughs> and that's, therefore, I've always known he had great hands and that's all I know about <laughs> him as a player. The other thing of note about Michael Owen is that he's the the 1,000th Wales cap. The 1,000th person to play for Wales. Mm. There you are. I've run out of information on Michael Owen. <laughs> uh, I presume he's seen more films than the other Michael Owen. <laughs> so. I, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> At least nine. Yeah, he's seen Rocky and Rocky too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nugget scores another try, and it's just as brilliant as the other one. It's a classic sort of eleven play, like you know, play one phase in field, then flashback to the blind side. Martin Williams is stood in at 10, dummies past one guy, gets on the outside of another and just, again, sprints it in from 30-odd yards. He shouldn't be finishing that. No, but he's a bloody good footballer. Yeah, and he deserves to. Yeah. Well, have we got any other tries? Uh, It's just Shane's in the last play, isn't it? Yes, Mm. yes. Also, a word for off the bench, Japan bring on Chow Won Kim at Scrum Off for his first Yes, he was brilliant. Yeah. It was great, just like the, the tempo that he was playing at, and just mm. he, he clearly just had endless amounts of energy, and it was just great how much he had Gareth Cooper rattled. Like <laughs> every time Gareth Cooper kicked the ball up, he had this tiny little Korean man jump on him. He was like, "No, why are you tackling me? Why are you good?" He was great. This is the really interesting about Joel Won Kim, is that they talk about him as this kind of future. They've made a big deal out of how Japan have invested in South Korean talent and they want to bring more of it through and try and develop some. And they're hoping a lot of them come through by the 2011 World Cup. And then the only one that's sort of come through since is Ji Won Gu. Yeah. And came so through for 2019. Yeah. Very interesting what's happened there. Like how that's not happened, what went on there, how he's ended up having all of this it's something i i would love to know more about but haven't had the time to research properly yeah is the, yeah he won just two caps for japan oh, what's the south korean team like in terms of do they play to a particularly high level i think they're pretty far down the world rankings i think they're yeah. sort of 70 80 somewhere that seems a bit interesting of all places that they invest in talent in mm. south korea well they've recently uh, invested in mongolia really yeah, so there was a hugely disproportionate number of sumo wrestlers coming from Mongolia. <laughs> so Michael Leach noticed this and encouraged them to set up an academy in Mongolia. So they've got a flanker in the Japan in the 20s last year who's Mongolian. And I think they've got a few props they're hoping to bring through in the next few years. Um, so we'll see if anything comes from that. Yeah. But that could be an interesting kind of subplot as Japan yeah. continues to develop. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so the Shane try. Yes, we'll quickly yes. talk about that in the last play because Japan try and exit, get half charged down again. Wales recover it. They're like five meters out from the line, and did everybody else's eyes just go straight to David James on the wing? Because <laughs> yeah. he is absolutely yelling for the ball, windmilling his arms, shaking them <laughs> everywhere, trying to get as much attention on him as possible. Please look at me. Please pass me the ball. There is no one in thirty meters of me. <laughs> And for as long as the rest of the game goes on, that remains true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think as much as like 
yeah, James Hook should get it out. I think it's a very good read from him to see the space mm. there and kind of scan to see the space there. And I couldn't quite tell if there was any kind of call there or Shane was screaming for it as well. But yeah. I think Hook does really well. And uh, literally, like, a, they win the ball through a massive James Hook tackle as well mm. initially. So it's quite a decent minute of rugby for James Hook. So I think he does, get, he does get tackled himself directly before he makes the tackle and gets smashed himself. So a bit of a mixed minute, which is James Hook. <laughs> yeah, all over. <laughs> Hook, line and sunken. Uh, yeah, James Hook's looking outside him. He's got Shanklin and David James right out on the touchline. And Shane Williams, just last second, appears on Hook's inside. Mm. And the one Japanese player that's floating across goes, well, I've got to get to that Davith James. He's been unmarked for about six minutes. So sprints over there and Hook just drops it on the inside. And it feels, but what a good game Davith James has had and for how many tries Shane scores. And we also haven't mentioned the one that he completely bombs as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. There is yeah. a dick of the day section of this podcast. Of course. Okay. Yeah. So Shane pops up on the inside and scores the try instead. Dick move by Shane to run the inside line and make it an easier pass for Hawk. Yeah. I really <laughs> want the David James to score that. Me yeah. too. I really fell for him. It I takes him to the, for him. It takes him to the second second in the Welsh try scorers chart, that try mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. It takes him beyond Yian Evans to just behind Gareth Thomas. Yeah. Dick move running that line, Shane. I mm. wanted Davith to score that. He deserved <laughs> it. And he's David James is quietly, very quietly, absolutely fuming that Shane scored that. Yeah. Like, it's mm. very much the, um, you know, I'm going to be very gracious and pat you on the back for this <laughs> kind of celebration. The classic winger not celebrating the try because they should have passed to him. Yes. <laughs> and so ends the game. That's a really entertaining game, I think, in the end. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Constant points, constant movement, constant teams trying things, even if they're not coming off, even if it's Kerry Sweeney chucking interception passes. Just, I, I thought, I thought a great deal of fun. Yes. As by all. Exactly what I was hoping for. And I think that in turn brings us on to everyone's favourite. Do you want to start with Man of the Match or Dick of the Day? Let's start with Dick of the Day because we alluded to it a minute ago. Yes. Mm. One, one that I have written down is... As you mentioned earlier, Andrew, that weird Kevin Morgan cross-field infield yes. kick. And yes. it was like, hang on a moment. What are you trying there? As you say, it's everything he's trying to achieve there could be achieved with a pass. Yeah, yeah. I've got that written down as well. Yeah. I, he's certainly due a nomination for that because I, I didn't catch what exactly the score was around then, but it was still quite close, the two teams at that point. Yeah, Wales had scored two tries by that point. Right. And obviously Japan has scored through Endo. It seems a bizarre, like, obviously the game gets loose in the second half. So if he went for it in the second half, it wouldn't be as bad. But it's just very bizarre that he just chooses to kick like that at that point in the game. Yeah. No real idea of where he's kicking to. Big risk, low reward. Very strange. Yeah, yeah. But my dick of the day is Shane Williams. And my reason for that is thus. Robbie, do you want to describe the incident? Or Andrew? I mean, it's... I mean, it's your dick of the day, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> James Hook kicks the ball through after a Japanese mistake. Mm. And then football style notices that Shane is unmarked outside him. So just kicks it along the floor for Shane to gather and pick up and score. And the ball bounces about two metres short of the goal line for Shane. I don't know if he does it deliberately. 
I don't know if he just goes to kick it and it happens to fly sideways instead of straight ahead. Mm. Yeah, maybe that's Shane. true. Maybe that's true. Either way, Shane Williams ends up with the ball kind of bouncing mm. in front of him. And Dav James looks at him and goes, go on, Shane, you get your yeah. try. And kind of stops running and goes, go on, Shane, you've got this. You know, you're one of our top try scorers ever. You've got this. And Shane Williams, who, by the way, fun fact about Shane Williams, before becoming a professional rugby player, um, it was on the cards that he could have become a professional soccer player, that, or at least gone semi-pro. Like, he was an extremely good footballer. And he just boots it dead. I didn't... Re- I think, as well, with the whole Dav James thing in the last minute with Shane Williams scoring that try, I really think Dav James should have laid into Shane after letting him have a chance there and mess it up. Yeah, I don't really know what was going through his head. And he had a reasonable amount of space, I think. There weren't yeah. too many Japanese players close by. So if it was just a case of just diving on it or just trying to pick it up, yeah. he'd just surely... Slow down. Yeah. Nudge it rather than boost Yeah, it. it seemed he was just going full 100 miles an hour and just didn't slow down to kick the ball. Just thought, oh, if I nudge this here, it might go two metres in front of me. It might go 30 <laughs> metres in front of it. And he almost goes flying into the uh, stands as well. <laughs> yeah. And given he scores when... two tries, that's drug avoidance by Shane. True, mm. true. When yeah. I saw the ball heading towards the corner flag, I thought to myself, how come I haven't seen this Shane Williams spectacular finish in the corner from a kick try before? <laughs> <laughs> I've learned the reason. I just assumed he's going to finish every chance he's given. And boy, did he not. Um, so, Andrew, do you have a dick of the day? Yeah, I did mention it earlier, but I do think... I've written down Kevin Morgan for the kick, Shane mm. Williams for kicking it for what could have been a pretty straightforward try. But the third one I put down that I mentioned it was Will Greenwood saying that Shane Williams could have been world class. Because <laughs> it's just such an outrageous statement to say <laughs> when you consider what happens the next few years after. And he's hardly, 2005, Six Nations, he was on fire. Mm. So it's hardly like, I'd, I'd be... Interested to say to know what Will Greenwood, what Will Greenwood considers world class, because obviously a lot of people will say like it's the top three in your position in the world. Mm. But he does say at one point that James Hook and Stephen Jones are both world class. <laughs> so if he thinks both of them are world class, and James Hook's twenty two at this point, <laughs> so if he thinks they're both world class, then how would Shane Williams? What what would Shane Williams need to do to be world class? Probably what he does the following year. Yes. It's yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? It's such a strange negative, like oh, he, writing him off already when he's already got. Like Shane could have played much longer than he did. He played another four years. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose he had about eighty-six final games, so in some ways he did play yes. much longer. Yeah, yeah. So strange. I, I'm going to give it to Mike Phillips. Okay. Um, for you know, in general, it's self-explanatory. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I think a he's Mike Phillips. You know, or Michael Phillips, depending on what you want to call him. <laughs> that first half, there's enough reason enough alone to say potential dick of the day, you know, for his all of the endless not realizing he's a scrum half rather than just a hard carrying flank who sometimes fills in there, nugget style. And in the second half, he's class, so he could have been in the first half. So <laughs> what are you doing? Why do you only pull this out after half time? Why do you need to have a chat from Gareth Jenkins to motivate you? <laughs> Dick of the day. It's justified. And if we move on to man of the match, I I mean, I think, look, Stephen Jones plays well, David James plays well, but I there's not a doubt in my mind or a moment's consideration of anyone other than Martin Williams for me. Yes. 
I'm just nailed on nugget, 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 nugget. Fair yeah, enough. I've written, yeah, I've written in my notes, Stephen Jones is pretty decent, Mike Phillips pretty decent, but Martin Williams is just incredible. Yeah. And I, I, it's bizarre as well that he was, he, well, he retired after this World Cup, didn't he? Yeah. And he's playing like this, that had he not been called back, uh, had Gatlin not got him out of retirement, then what a waste that could have been that you yeah. had this. I, I'd comfortably say he's world-class at this point on his day. Mm. He was brilliant in the 2008 Six Nations. It would have been such a shame had he actually retired properly. Yeah. I think Onizawa deserves an honourable mention because yeah, I thought totally. he was yeah. awesome for Japan. He's class, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Man of the Match was interesting. I've got three names here because there was... <sighs> Martin Williams is one of them because he is absolutely incredible, right? Scores those two tries and is just everywhere, like doing everybody else's job for them, playing as a nine, as a 10, as a seven, as an eight, whatever you need from him as a winger. I kind of have to say that Mike Phillips is very much, because he does so much good that there came a point where I really didn't want to give him man of the match, but about 50 minutes I was like, I literally can't not give him man of the match. However... The guy that I really wanted to give man of the match before Mike Phillips started doing all of his flash cunt stuff was Duncan Jones. The, he was dominating the scrums and like his hands and stuff around the park were brilliant. And he made some really, really good tackles and stuff. And give uh, look, Nugget was the best player on the field, right? And Mike mm-hmm. Phillips for a long period was the best player on the field. But I feel like I don't give the front row enough love. And given you've both given Martin Williams man of the match, I'm going to go with Duncan Jones because I rarely <laughs> get the chance to do that. Fantastic. Okay. Duncan Jones it is. Wonderful. I think and that's entirely fair enough. Yeah. And mm. his hands, just lovely. His yeah. hair, even He gets lovelier. the assist. <laughs> the assist for Mike Phillips's try. Yeah. You no, know, if not for Duncan Jones, he's never scoring that. There's a great point when Nugget slots in at a 10 and throws a missed ball to him in the 13 channel and Duncan pops it back inside to James, yes. Jamie Robinson hitting the line. It's just a glorious loose head mm. prop. I love Duncan <laughs> Jones. The greatest. All right. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for that. Where can people find you? Where can people find your videos if they haven't seen things already? Where can we find your social media? Everything. Please, please tell us it all. So I'm on YouTube, just Andrew Ford. There's an E at the end of Ford. So um, always have to remind people of that. But No relation to George. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I still tell people I'm his cousin, but yeah. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter mainly. My at is Andrew F. Rugby. So yeah, that's the best place to find me. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. Like, as you've probably gathered from our really sycophantic bit at the start, like, we're both such big fans of you and you have bailed us out when making videos <laughs> endless amounts of times. So endless, endless. can't thank you enough for, firstly, the content you make, which is fantastic, and secondly, coming on this podcast and, you know, being a great guest. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. No, thank you endlessly. And thank you to everyone listening that is not currently in this call. Please join us next week when we will look at France's win over Ireland. The, no, hold on. So Ireland loses and get knocked out of the tournament, but it's not a quarterfinal. Is that allowed? Spoilers. Yeah, that sounds fine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's, it's fine. We'll look at that we'll it. and we'll see you mm-hmm. then. Thank you very much, everyone. Good night. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 